0: Afto, a conversation with Ernie Julian, co-chair of Healthy People 2030, discussing the 2022 summit.
1: The whole idea of this was to bring people together. You know, that we, we can't achieve healthy people 2030 object, objectives uh, in one agency, FDA, CDC, USDA, states. I mean, it can't be done alone. Uh, bring people together, set some priorities, which we did. Uh, we basically said we want to reduce salmonellosis associated with chicken as a starting point, uh, reduce norovirus at retail, and also reduce uh, E. coli 157, H7 associated with leafy greens and produce. So we picked those as priorities and then develop a strategy to accomplish that, and then agree on that strategy, and pull in uh, the federal government, pull in state, pull in uh, local government, pull in uh, industry from farm to table, you know, pull in the professional associations, academia, get everybody together and come up with a strategy and everybody working in the same direction to accomplish those goals. And I think that happened, and we bring it closer each time.
0: What has happened since the 2020 meeting?
1: We need to make progress. This isn't about just talking and coming up with something that sits on a shelf. This is about generating action and I think that's what we wanted to do here was take it from all right we set some priorities. We said with uh, with leafy greens you know we wanted to look at uh, one health you know we wanted to look at from uh, animals all the way to the produce uh, and and humans. Uh, We wanted to look at water you know we wanted to look at Uh, a whole bunch of things that contribute to these things and then prioritize where can we have the most effect. You know a lot of our time gets sucked into things that don't impact public health and here it's all right let's focus on what's going to have an impact in substantially reducing illness. We want to reduce STEC by 20 percent by 2030. We want to reduce salmonellosis by 25 percent. Those are big numbers. How can we do that? How can we do it quickly You know, we're not going to wait 10 years and do it at the last minute. Uh, The sooner we achieve that, the more illnesses and deaths and long-term disabilities we prevent.
0: Is there a growing sense of urgency?
1: There is, and, and I think one of the things that's happened at all levels, and it happened with me, is I got sucked into COVID for four, four months full time, you know. And in the federal agencies, CDC, FDA, USDA, uh, you know, a lot of agencies have been pulled into COVID, and appropriately so. I mean, you got something that's killed over eight hundred thousand people in the U.S. I mean, that's a high priority, high severity, high probability of recurrence, you know. So, so the first year, you know, probably a lot, not a lot happened because of that and even now we're seeing very high rates. But now we're trying to get back on target and, and to say, all right, how do we reduce food-related illnesses? And, and you know, it was good hearing from Caitlin Boone you know, from FDA. The FDA you know, used that meeting a couple of years ago in setting some priorities and direction and those kind of things. Uh, one of the things we did with the states is to say, hey, outbreaks keep happening from leafy greens at the same time of year. So we, uh, at, through AFDEL, told the states, go out and sample the highest risk products at the highest risk times and the highest risk places. What does that mean? That means somebody got sick you know, uh, last year from a certain product bought at a certain store or restaurant. Go back and sample that same product at that same time of the year from the same place. And when that was done, Michigan found a positive sample that led to a recall. And uh, this year, additional sampling led to another recall. So, you know, focusing on those highest risk products at the highest risk times.
0: How do we put a face on foodborne illness?
1: Yeah, it's easy to get lost in the numbers you know, that X number of cases occur. And, and what gets lost sometimes is we need to keep bringing ourselves back to there's a person behind every one of these numbers. And, and it's not just uh, a tummy ache sometimes with diarrhea and, and vomiting and then, and, you know, last a day or two. That, you know, here you're talking about somebody with permanent disabilities. And, and the reason I'm still working on this though, I retired, is that I've dealt with cases of HUS affecting kids. Well, those kids are never going to be right. Uh, I've got one case I've dealt with with leafy greens, they ate leafy greens in 2018. They still can't talk and walk and they got severe permanent brain damage. We need to take action to prevent those things from happening and we need to do it as soon as possible. If a place caused an outbreak, the greatest predictor of future outbreaks is past outbreaks. We need to not just put out the fire, we need to go back there and make sure that if it's with produce, the next season, what are they growing? You know, are they using safe water? Is their product tested? We need to make sure that it's not happening again from the same place. And if they shifted from leafy green to some other crop, we need to make sure that that other crop is safe, you know, unless that crop's gonna have a kill step. So you know, follow-up is critical, and and not just for produce, for restaurants, for processing. Uh, We need to make sure that uh, we not only stopped it today, but it doesn't happen again.
0: What was your aha moment this week?
1: Well, I think one of the things that uh, hit me was it was Caitlin Boone's comments from FDA saying that it you know FDA had used the meeting two years ago to to adjust you know their direction, and that that's guiding direction, and hearing the same thing from others. I think Roberta Wagner did a, a great job uh, talking about you know what the industry is doing and that they support everything that basically was coming out. So, th- so the thing that I found good at the end of the day was that there was agreement on the direction from, you know, from academia, from federal government, from, you know, everybody involved. I mean, I didn't hear anything, oh, we don't want to go there. It was like, all right, we've we've got a shared direction and common goals. We're we're targeting these pathogens. We've got some agreed-upon strategies, and now it's all right, let's put it into action.
0: Why are these meeting outcomes important to AFDO members?
1: Well, I think we all have a role, and, and nobody, no one agency or, or person can obviously do this alone, and everybody's got, got a role in this. I mean, if we're trying to reduce, you know, at the local level or even at the state level, noro at retail, well, there's over a million food establishments out there. Uh, we need to focus on certain things. And one of the things that I brought up on the first day is, you know, norovirus uh, has some similarities to, to COVID in a way, And that uh, when I was pulled into COVID, controlling COVID for four months in 2020, I had all the businesses in the State that I was dealing with, 822 outbreaks. And the thing that I found is over half of them that had outbreaks had sick people working, which is exactly what happens with norovirus. You get sick people working. And in the biggest outbreak that I had to deal with, you had supervisors pressuring people to work while ill. And, and that obviously crosses some serious lines. And that same thing happens with norovirus. So you know, I use the, the knowledge from norovirus to help control COVID, and, and vice versa. So here we need to really deal with: Does that establishment have a sick time policy? You know, do they have sick time for employees? If they don't have sick time for employees, can they make up the hours so there is not an economic incentive to work while ill? If you don't deal with that, you've got a ticking bomb in the place, and sooner or later it's going to blow up with an, a norovirus outbreak. And and those are the kind of things we need to do with at every level. We need to deal with at the industry level, but we also need to look at it when we go into that place, you know, and focus on the right things. Norovirus is the the number one cause of foodborne illness. Do they have a call-in procedure? You know, it's not you have to come to work when you're sick or else, or you have to find a replacement while you're vomiting. You can't do that. This establishment has to find a replacement. It's not your responsibility.
0: What were some of the issues where progress was made?
1: and coming up with a shared direction. And one shared direction was on One Health, you know, with uh, with cattle in the western part of the country being a source of, you know, estec and a reoccurring strain. And all of a sudden, it's not just causing illness with beef, it's causing illness with produce, and it's leading to water contamination, environmental contamination. So one approach is, all right, let's deal with estec and cattle in that area in close proximity to leafy greens uh, and make sure that reduce the level of ESTEC in cattle, uh, which will reduce ESTEC associated with ground beef and produce, uh, and also deal with water contamination, you know, making sure that manure from those cattle isn't getting into the irrigation water and on ready foods. So we came up with some agreements, and I think that's important in, in having in-person meetings to, to kind of work out those details and to say, oh, hey, here's an area of agreement. The other thing we talked about is, well, were there issues in transportation? where all of a sudden, uh, um, you know, transport and trucks, you know, are they packing them too tight? Are you leading to temperature abuses, of some of the products? And that's why you get sporadic illnesses, low levels and all across the country and maybe near the exp- end of expiration. So, so things to explore that, you know, you're not sure that that's, Uh, to what extent that's a contributing factor. But here's a question that we need to look at to say, well, all right, it's a multiple hurdle approach. You want to reduce estec in cattle. You want to prevent water contamination. You want to treat the water. You want to make sure that the uh, the produce is washed properly. You want to make sure it's not temperature abused. So, you know, looking at no matter the area with salmonella, looking at all right, uh, looking at vaccines is a major uh, control. But it was also uh, irradiation was also discussed it's to say, well, okay, there are different approaches to reduce it. How do we achieve a 25% reduction in salmonellosis? How do we achieve a 20% re- reduction in stec? And it's multiple approaches. But here are the ones most likely to give us a big impact.
0: What does success look like?
1: I think with all of these things, it's action. You know, and the action is the greatest predictor of future outbreaks, as I said, is past outbreaks. And focus on the places that have had outbreaks. Focus on the places that have had the contributing factors to outbreaks. Uh, Get out there quickly and not only get out there quickly and make sure you get proper controls, but get back there and make sure those controls stay in place versus they go back to their old practices. With produce, you know, a year from now, um, you know, is that product safe? It's not just, well, you're out there, you know, and look now, and the field is plowed under and you don't see anything. Okay, what are they doing next year? Are they using safe water? Is that crop safe? Are you testing the crops? Uh, Looking at those controls.
0: What cultural changes need to be made?
1: Focus where the problems are. You know, and, and I actually had uh, in Rhode Island when I first got there, there was a, a lobbyist for the food store industry. And, and he used to be a lobbyist for the, for the buses. And, and he said, go after the bad guys. And he said, you know, if uh, somebody's driving a bus and it's got bad brakes and they know it, you know, go after them. And and he said that the same thing with the food industry. It's just like, you know, don't waste your time in places that have great practices and they have system in place and and they've got trained staff and trained managers and and they get it. Uh, You you check them every now and then, but that bottom 20% that you find reoccurring issues, you know, and and really the greatest predictor of outbreaks that we've seen in Minnesota saw, saw the same thing is places with complaints. You know, foodborne illness complaints, you know, temperature complaints, uh, you know, look at those places and the places with reoccurring hazards and focus on them and, and get them to change their practices. And, and I hate to say that, but sometimes if they refuse to change their practices, then they're no longer operating if there's serious hazards to public health. We have to take regulatory action when needed. We try to work with everyone, we try to educate, we try to motivate, but there are times when we have to do our jobs as public health professionals and say, hey, we've told you, we've told you, we've told you. Now, you're not operating if you're continuing to put the public at risk.
0: For more information about Healthy People 2030, visit afto.org committees.